So good to see you. <laughs> so good. There was a, a time there in the hospital where um, I was fresh out of surgery and I was laying in the bed and not feeling particularly great and trying to picture this moment. I was very, I was really trying to, because when I'm back here, it'll all be done. You know, it'll be in the rearview mirror and I'll be better. And I tried to picture it and I couldn't. I couldn't picture it at that time, but uh, it's been an emotional weekend to be back. Um, my name's Dave, uh, if, if you're visiting. <laughs> I, I'm one of the pastors and I've had a few weeks of some odd odd health issues. I'll catch you up a little bit on um, six weeks ago. Six weeks ago today, I was here Saturday night and I, I was preaching and I felt great. I've never been healthier. And I expected to be back with you Sunday morning because that's what you do. Uh, you preach Saturday night, you come back Sunday morning. I didn't know after I left Saturday night that in a few hours I'd be really, really sick. But I got home, I went to bed early and then pain started to come in and it's the kind of pain like if you've had kidney stones. It's like that. And if you've had kidney stones, you know it's, it's, it's intense. And um, so I was up till about five in the morning. I couldn't, couldn't get comfortable throwing up, all the stuff that goes along with that. And about five in the morning, I realized I'm not going to make it to Sunday morning. So uh, my wife encouraged me to go to the ER. So I called our dear Pastor Mark at five in the morning said, guess what, Pastor? I'm not going to be able to make it. I, you know, he, he was so sweet. On the phone, his, he was totally concerned about me. I think after he hung up, he probably panicked. I don't know. Mark, I don't know if you panic. I don't think you do. But he had about an hour's notice to put a message together for you Sunday morning. And I went to the ER, and um, I had the, the man in the bed next to me had the same symptoms I had. His diagnosis came back kidney stones. My diagnosis came back quite different. I didn't have kidney stones. I had a large mass about the size of a softball on my kidney. Didn't know it was there. I had been, I go through screenings every year and it didn't show up. Kidney cancer didn't show up. So one minute I think I'm as healthy as I've ever been. The next moment the doctor's telling me and my family I have cancer. And it's in my kidney, probably there, but there's, this CAT scan reveals it could have maybe spread, not sure. And I lived with that news for a week without knowing. They put me on bed rest and chair rest because they didn't want the pain to come back, although the doctors all said it was a miracle that I had the pain because kidney cancer is painless and it usually goes undetected until it's too late. So this was a case where the pain was a good thing. It didn't feel like it at the time, but apparently it was a good thing. Um, I can't go into the detail, but someday I want to share with you all the things God did. He said a thing. He set something in motion so quickly, and I ended up getting to see the foremost surgeon in the world for my kind of cancer up at USC. So I spent a week wondering if the pain was going to come back and wondering if I had terminal cancer. Ever spend a week like that? You know what's amazing? You know what's wonderful? You know what's important. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. This is when it matters if Jesus is real or not. Because if this is just religion, if this is just something we do on the weekends because we don't want to join another club, we just want to come and hang out with, and we just want to read this and think it's sort of true and religion's a good thing, 
if it's not true, then we have no hope. And I had complete hope. I had complete confidence that this was from God, whatever it was going to be. So went to see the surgeon. He confirmed it was kidney cancer. It was located in the kidney. And they went in less than three weeks ago. It was less than three weeks ago I had surgery. And they took my kidney, um, took the cancer. I'm cancer-free. I don't need radiation. I don't need chemo. Um, Yeah. So it's been it's been uh, it's been quite a an experience, but through it all, I felt your prayers, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Every one of you that prayed, that texted, that sent a card, provided a meal, but it's the prayers. I mean, I felt every one. So did my family. It's harder on the family than it is on the person, and. Uh, I thank God for you. I will never, ever, ever be able to tell you enough how much your prayers and your outpouring of love, I totally don't feel deserving of that at all, but it overwhelmed me, the love and prayers from you. Thank you. Keep the prayers coming for a little longer, if you would. (laughs) My prognosis for recovery is excellent, but uh, I'm about 50%, and uh, these stairs get taller every service. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to be back. I just need a few more weeks to recover. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for this moment that you brought it to pass. You're so faithful. You're so good. And now, Lord, as we open your word together, please, as always, let your spirit teach us. Be our teacher. Show us your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 7. We're in chapter 7 of Mark. The last part of that chapter. Verses 24 to 37. Jesus' public ministry has been growing. He's preaching to bigger and bigger crowds everywhere he goes. Yet, his own disciples, those people that are with him 24-7, still have no idea who Jesus is. We saw a few weeks ago that when Jesus went to his hometown, his hometown rejected him. And of course, the Pharisees are putting pressure on Jesus every chance they get, harassing him and trying to disprove him and discredit him. And of course, they're seeking to kill him. Last week, Jesus taught about the emptiness of having religion or doing traditional things if your heart is not in it. Let me remind you what he said. You're in chapter 7. Look back at verses 6 and 8. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. What a scathing thing for the Lord to say to people that were trying to pass off their own ideas of religion as more important than the word of God. In our passage today, it's fascinating. Jesus is going to leave the area of the Jews and he's going to travel into Gentile territory and he's going to have two amazing encounters. First, with a female intruder, and then secondly, with a man that can't hear a word that he says to him. It's wonderful. Here's the outline for our passage today. 
The first half, we're going to read that the secret is out. What secret? We'll have to find out. And the second part is the touch of Jesus. It's interesting, when Jesus touches your life, you know it. Let's read uh, Mark 7, 24 to 30 together. Jesus left that place, meaning the region of Galilee, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then Jesus told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Verse 24 tells us that Jesus left the area where he had been ministering. In the last few chapters of Mark, Jesus has been crisscrossing the Sea of Galilee, preaching to all the Jews there. There's a very important word in verse 24 I don't want you to miss because it's easy to miss. It's such a simple word. But this word is really, really important to you and I if we're not Jewish. It says that Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Went is the word I want you to notice. Why is that word went important? Because it's a strong Greek verb that Mark chose to use and it means a decisive departure. A decisive departure. So the verse could be written this way. Jesus left Galilee and made a decisive departure into the vicinity of Tyre where the Gentiles live. Now some Bible scholars have suggested that Jesus left Galilee and went to Tyre because he was sick and tired of the way the Jews were treating him and he wanted a change of scenery, a change of venue. But the language doesn't suggest that at all. No, this was a decisive departure. What this is teaching us is the sentence structure shows us that the time had come in Jesus' ministry to include non-Jews, to include Gentiles in the good news of the kingdom of God. Last week, if you were here, uh, Jesus proclaimed there is no such thing as unclean food. Today, he's going to show us there's no such thing as unclean people. The kingdom of God is open to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Later, the Apostle Paul wrote this. I'll put it on the screen for you. Romans 1.16. This is from the New Living Translation. I just like how this was worded. It. Paul wrote, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work. Saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The sad irony in our passage today is that Jesus is going to get much better treatment from the Gentiles than he did from the Jews. Now the Gospel of Mark was written to Gentiles. It was written to Roman converts. Think how much this must have encouraged them to know that their salvation was not an afterthought. Their salvation, <clears throat> your salvation, my salvation, is not an afterthought. It was a divine purpose. It was all part of God's strategic, wonderful plan to save you specifically. Not generally, but specifically. 
Jesus entered the vicinity of Tyre. Tyre is north and to the west of Galilee. It's, Tyre is the fourth largest city in Lebanon today. It is a seaport. That's about a 35-mile journey for Jesus on foot. When Jesus picked Tyre, he picked a real winner. This Gentile region had a long, long history of antagonism against Israel. In fact, if you remember your history, probably the most wicked woman who ever lived, wicked Queen Jezebel, was from Tyre. She and her, her king Ahab tried to eradicate any part of God in Israel. The first century historian Josephus wrote that the inhabitants of Tyre were Israel's bitterest enemies. Yet this is where Jesus went. Tyre probably represented the most extreme expression of paganism that Jesus could find in his day. Now the Jews believed that when the Messiah came, he would, he would subdue the Gentiles, not embrace them. But when Jesus stepped foot into Tyre, he showed us that God sent him to save the most unlikely people on earth. Even people from Anaheim Hills and Yorba Linda. People like you, maybe people like me, definitely someone like me. Now verse 24 teaches us a glorious principle. I don't want you to miss it. It's fabulous. Let me read it again. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. But he could not keep his presence secret. Jesus entered a house that was so run-of-the-mill. We don't know whose house it was. We don't know what color it was, how big it was, or where it was. Middle of town, outskirts of town, main street, back alley, we have no idea. Just a common dwelling. Jesus didn't want anybody to know he was there, but the secret got out. Why? And here's the principle. Jesus' presence cannot be hidden. Jesus cannot be hidden. Not then and not now. Jesus can't be hidden in a common house. And he can't be hidden in a common life. It's my prayer for you and it's my prayer for me that we would live our lives so full of Jesus that we would not keep him secret. We wouldn't keep him a secret in here where it's safe and we won't keep him a secret out there where it's not so safe. So in verse 25, Jesus slipped into town quietly. He was very stealth. But word spread about him quickly. Everyone in town knew he was there. But nobody dared come near him except for one unnamed woman. This poor woman. Can you imagine the horror that she lived? Her little girl, her little one, her precious one, was possessed by a demon. We know from reading the book of Mark that any time demon possession is involved, the demons tortured their human hosts. This woman had a little girl as precious and sweet and wonderful as the little ones that run around our church. Yet the mother had to watch her daughter suffer terribly at the hand of the demon and there wasn't one thing the mom could do to help her daughter. This wasn't an illness that needed to run its course. This was demon possession. It meant that all the mother could do is watch her daughter's condition get worse and worse until one day the young girl would destroy herself because of the demon. Don't you wonder how often did this little girl cry out in pain in the middle of the night? Maybe went into convulsions or seizures. Maybe she fell into comas. Maybe she tried to hurt herself. Can you imagine what this mother was going through every day? It had to be a living hell. 
this woman had no hope until Jesus slipped into town. It's true for all of us. We have no hope apart from Jesus. We know nothing about this woman's age or what she looks like, but we can certainly admire her take-action attitude. This is mother of the year, this woman. The instant she heard Jesus was in town, she knew exactly what to do. Can't you picture her just bolting out the door, making her way through the village streets as fast as she could go, making a beeline for the house where this famous Jewish man, Jesus, and his disciples were staying? She ignored all rules of discretion and protocol when she broke in unannounced on Jesus and the disciples and fell at his feet and immediately started begging for her little girl. Verse 26, the way Mark writes it in 26, looks like a crescendo of demerits to show us how unworthy this person was. First, he notices, notes she's a woman in that culture. She's a Greek Gentile. She's from the pagan region of Syrian Phoenicia. This is nobody Jesus should want to deal with. No Jew would want to deal with her. Yet Jesus is going to show compassion on her and heal her daughter. No doubt Peter, the Apostle Peter, was right there and he witnessed this. Later, let me put this on the screen for you. This is Acts 10, 34 to 35. Later, Peter wrote, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Try to imagine this scene in the house. Can you imagine a more emotion-packed, emotion-charged scene than a mother begging for her child? We're not told what the woman said. We don't know what words we said. All we know is she begged. The word begged carries the meaning of urgency and distress, and it also carries the meaning of persistence. This woman was not afraid to make a pest out of herself. She had no intention of leaving until Jesus healed her child. This is not arrogance. This is desperation. This woman knew that Jesus was her only hope. And she came to him unashamed and unwavering in her faith. Do you and I pray like this when we bow our heads to pray? Do we pray like this? Do we pray unashamed and unwavering in our faith? Jesus' response to the woman in verse 27 is the shortest parable in the Bible. Jesus said, First, let the little children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Hmm. Seems rather harsh, doesn't it? What a thing for Jesus to say. What What are we supposed to make out of that statement? How are we to understand what he meant? There are two words for dog in the Greek and in the Bible. One word for dog refers to a worthless street animal. That is not the word Jesus used here. The other word for dog is a softer, more affectionate word. It could be translated little dog, as in family pet. That's the word that Jesus used here. So Jesus was not saying that this woman was worthless or unwanted. He was saying that he came first to fulfill his role to the children of the house, to Israel and then to the rest of the family, to the Gentiles. Now, in my house, we have pets, lots of them, kind of live in a zoo. We have two rescue dogs. We have a rescue cat, 
And we have a bunch of birds. Some of our birds are rescue birds. And I can promise you, like many of you who have animals, they are your family. Not, it's not just the dog or just the cat. Or just, this is family. And this is what Jesus meant too. The little dog under the table was still very much a part of the family. But the children came first. God came to present the gospel in an order to the Jew first and then the Gentiles. The fact that this was not an offensive statement is shown by the woman took no offense at all. Look in verse 28. She said, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. crumbs. What a wise and humble person, this woman. I admire her so much. She understood the purpose of the Messiah better than the Jews did, better than the disciples did. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus use parables all the time. And what happens when he used the parable? The people he was speaking to didn't have a clue what he meant. And what about his disciples? Did they understand? No, they came. Jesus, God. Can you, what was that all about? Explain it to us. This woman didn't need any more explanation. This Greek Gentile, she knew exactly what Jesus was teaching. In fact, this Gentile woman became the first person in the Gospel of Mark to hear and understand a parable of Jesus. She had no knowledge of Jewish tradition. She probably didn't even understand the scriptures. So what did she have? One thing. Great faith. Great faith. Never sell yourself short because you don't know a lot of Bible or you haven't been to Bible school, etc., etc., etc. Faith. That's what the Lord is looking for. Great faith. Did you notice when she came to Jesus, she didn't say, come home with me. Come to the house. Lay your hands on my daughter. She had such faith, she believed Jesus could answer her prayer right then and there on the spot, and he did. Again, I have to ask you, do you and I come to Jesus like that? Do we come with such confidence, such faith that when we pray, we know he's hearing us? Do we trust him wholeheartedly like this woman? Matthew's account of this scene, he, uh, verse, let me put on the screen for you, uh, Matthew 15, 28. Jesus said to this woman, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed later that year. Is that what it says? Healed at that moment, that very moment, the moment Jesus spoke, she was healed. It's my prayer again for you and for me that we would be people of great faith. We would pray like this. We would trust Jesus like this. Okay, so let's summarize this first encounter. Jesus comes into Gentile territory and the word gets out. The secret's out. The secret's out that he's there because he cannot be hidden. And the secret's out that the kingdom of God, heaven, a relationship, personal relationship with Jesus Christ is open to Jew and Gentile alike. No one has an automatic in or an automatic out based on race. What the Lord requires is our faith. Let's read on, uh, verse 31 to the end of the chapter. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There are some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After Jesus took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear. 
and the mute speak. So Jesus left Tyre. He walked back by the Sea of Galilee and went to the eastern coast of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. It was the center for Greek and Roman culture in that day, a very heavily populated Gentile region. This is Jesus' second visit to the Decapolis. Do you remember the first time Jesus was here? We read about it in Mark chapter 5. Jesus came on a boat that time, and the minute he got to shore, he was met by a crazy, strong man that had a legion, an army of demons inside of him. And when Jesus cast the demons out of this man, the demons ran to the swine. There was a herd of swine, 2,000 swine on the hill. And the demons went into the swine, and the swine all ran down the hill into the sea and were drowned. If you don't remember the message on that, you have an excuse. That was the message I was preaching six weeks ago when I got sick, so you never got to hear it on Sunday. But it is available online. I'd recommend it to you, not because of how I taught it, but because it is such an amazing insight into the Lord. It's worth listening to if you get a chance. When Jesus was here the first time, because of the, the, the pigs running down the hill and killing themselves, the people of the Decapolis begged Jesus, leave us alone, please go away. And he did. But now the Lord is back. He's giving them another opportunity at salvation. This is what our Lord does. He pursues us. He chases after us. He keeps coming after us, offering himself to us, offering him his salvation. Now some people in verse 32 brought a man that could not hear and could not speak. Maybe these were family members. We're not told. Just like the woman who begged Jesus for, on behalf of her daughter, these people begged Jesus to heal this man. What a vivid picture of what is called intercessory prayer. Intercessory is prayers when you pray for fervently for someone else. This man could not speak. This man could not hear. So these people that loved him came to Jesus and they were his voice and they were his ears before the Lord. You all interceded for me when I was in the hospital. I'm so grateful for you for that. One evening I was in so much pain and had so many drugs in me. I tried to pray and I couldn't. I couldn't put two thoughts together. I was desperately trying to pray and I couldn't pray. I just couldn't form a thought. But I knew you were praying. That was so, I was so aware of it. I felt your prayers and I needed your prayers. You interceded for me. At a time when I could not pray, you prayed for me. You were my voice. Thank you. I'll never be able to thank you enough for that. We are a praying church. I love that about this church. We pray for each other. We have a faithful, wonderful prayer team led by Doug and Kathy Renault. And the men and women on this prayer team love to intercede for you and for me. In fact, every week, they're right over here at the end of service. If you have a prayer request for anything, they, it is their joy to intercede for you and to pray for you. But I have to tell you something. This prayer team does not listen to me very well. When I was going in for surgery, they wanted to come to USC and pray with me at 5 in the morning before I went into surgery. And I told them, absolutely not. No, 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 no. You've done enough. I went to the Monday prayer meeting. They laid hands on me. They prayed for me. And I knew everybody's praying. I said, no, no, please don't do that. I even called Pastor Mark and I said, how, could I, how should I word my request? I don't want to hurt their feelings. 
Don't want to hurt your feelings, Mickey, but I just don't want you to come. So I told him, please, I don't, don't. Just wake up in the morning and pray for me. That's good enough. Can I have that slide, please? This is how well they listen to my instructions. They were there. When I walked in the door at 10 minutes to 5 up in L.A., they were sitting there. God bless them. The time of prayer, the scripture they shared with me, they shared scriptures with me and they prayed for me. And I soaked it up like a dry sponge. Wow, I needed to hear that. Didn't we, honey? My wife and daughter were there. I'm grateful they didn't listen to me. I'm grateful that they listened to the Lord instead of to me. Because I desperately needed those prayers. It was wonderful. Now Mark, verse 32, tells us these people basically did the same thing. They brought this man to Jesus. The man was deaf and could hardly talk. That's the description Mark gives us. And it would look like something we might overlook. It's just a quick footnote to tell us his condition. But it's much more important than that. When Mark says the man could barely talk or hardly talk, he uses a very specific Greek word that is used only one other place in the entire Bible. And I'll show you where. It's in the book of Isaiah. Can I have Isaiah 35 on the screen? Isaiah the prophet was telling the people of Israel what to look for, what proof would come that the Messiah was here. And this is what he wrote, Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ear of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue, there's that word, the mute tongue, shout for joy. The Greek word for mute tongue is the same word that is translated here that the man could hardly talk. Throughout the gospel, of Mark, we've seen that Mark is trying to give us every proof he can that Jesus is the Christ. He is God. He is the Lord. And here's another example. And it even has more weight because Mark is quoting, here's proof that he's the Messiah, but he's opening the ears of Gentiles as well as Jews. The kingdom of God is open to everyone, to you and to me. All we have to do is walk in and take it. Now, the people begged Jesus to lay their hands, hands on him. Did you see that? They were aware of how Jesus had healed before. This is what he did a lot. He, he would lay hands on somebody who would just speak to them and they'd be healed. Jesus could have done that, but here he did something different, very unique, only for this man. He took the man aside. He took him away from the crowd. Jesus took him away from all the distractions. You know, Jesus still does this today. Sometimes before he can work in our lives, he has to take us away from the thing that's distracting us so we can have our undivided attention. Have you ever experienced the Lord taking you aside? I don't know if your life's like mine, but I bet it is. Our lives are hectic, aren't they? And I feel like through my day, I just want to text Jesus, Lord, help me. And I want him to text me right back and say, Dave, you're good to go. And I want to text back, thanks, and I don't want to miss a beat. But sometimes Jesus wants us to miss a few beats. He wants us to sit out of the game for a little while so we can focus on him and nothing else and feel his touch where we need his touch. Now, I know in this room, I can tell just by looking at you that you are all overachievers and multitaskers. But sometimes the Lord wants us to drop a few balls. It's okay to miss a deadline. It's okay to say no to a request so we can spend quality time with Christ and make Jesus a priority. Here's a shocker. Are you ready? The goal of the Christian life is not to fill every moment with work. It's to fill every moment with Jesus. 
When was the last time you were alone? Just you and Jesus. Like the woman in the previous passage, we don't know this man's name. We don't know anything about him except his condition was hopeless without Christ. When Jesus took him aside, he showed us how compassionate he is toward each one of us. He takes us aside. Now in verse 33 and 34, you probably caught this, Jesus used a rather unconventional method to heal this man. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and he touched the man's tongue. Then he looked up into heaven and made a big deep sigh and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. How kind, how gracious of our Lord. Do you see what he did here? This man could not hear. So Jesus didn't speak to him. Jesus, everything Jesus did was tactile and visual because that was the only language this man understands. Are you getting the picture of who Jesus is? He's personal. Jesus wants to be your personal Savior, one-on-one, just you and him. That's why he came. It's personal. Jesus wants to put his finger and touch us right where we hurt, and where you hurt is different than where I hurt. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Would you describe it's personal and it's vital like this? I hope so. Please don't settle for the bland and boring notion that Jesus is just, sorry, just a religious option. He's just somebody you come to and you see him on the weekends and then you pray to him when you're in desperate situations and that's as good as it gets. No, Jesus has showed us over and over again. He came to be our personal Savior. When he died on the cross, he had your name on his heart. He died for you. He wants to take you aside. He wants to love you one-on-one. Now, when I was in the hospital, I was unconscious, but I'm pretty sure the surgeon did not touch me with his spit. That's probably considered unsanitary. But in Jesus' day, the spittle of certain persons was considered to have healing power, especially when applied to an area of injury or illness when accompanied by prayer. And Jesus ordered, issued this very short prayer with a deep sigh. Jesus was involved emotionally, spiritually, and physically with this man's healing. He cares. The next time we read about Jesus having a deep sigh, he will be on the cross, giving up his life for you and for me. In verse 35, immediately, just like with the little girl, immediately this man was healed. His his ears were opened and his tongue was loosened. Now the Greek is a lot more vivid than our English. The English translation is his, his tongue was loosened. In the Greek it says the chain of his tongue was broken. Don't you love that? Chain, the same kind of chain that holds a prisoner. When we come to Christ, when he touches us, our shackles, our chains are broken. Let me put John 8:36 on the screen for you. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. It's a really short one. I love short verses. Jesus said, so if the Son of Man makes you free, you will be free indeed. When Jesus touches you, you're free. You're free. The chapter ends by Jesus telling them not to tell anyone what they saw. But the people couldn't stop talking about it. They were amazed. They said he did everything well, meaning... Jesus left nothing unfinished, nothing incomplete. The work that Jesus did on the cross is complete. He saved you completely forever. One sacrifice forever. Your your, uh, security in heaven is a lock. 
because of what Jesus did. Yet he commanded everyone not to talk about why he healed the people. Why would he do that? Why didn't he want him talking about him healing this deaf person? It's because Jesus understands our human nature. We love sensational things, don't we? We run after the sensational and we miss the important. Jesus did not want to be advertised as the greatest healer that ever came because Jesus came and he used his healing power as proof of his authority and his mission to save us from our sins. He didn't come to cure, cure people of deafness. He came to cure them of sin. So Jesus gave them a command. Don't talk about this part of me. Look, there's, a, there's knowledge that can save and there's knowledge that doesn't save. We are not saved by believing that Jesus was a great teacher or a great man or a great healer. That doesn't save us. What saves us is understanding that Jesus went to the cross. We were in a hopeless condition, just like that woman with the child and just like that man that was deaf. We were in a hopeless condition and the only way we could be saved is by placing our faith and our trust in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Brian, you can come on up. So Jesus told the people that Decapolis, don't remember this, don't talk about this, but later at, at the end of his ministry, he gave you and I something to talk about. And I want to turn there, I want because we're going to have communion now, and I want to finish. Please turn to Mark chapter 14, verses 22 and 25. Remember, Jesus has said, don't talk about the healings, but now he's going to give us something to remember and to talk about daily in our life with him. Mark 14, verses 22 to 25. While they were eating, this was the last supper, supper right before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. A kingdom that is open to every one of us, Jew and Gentile alike. Yet the kingdom of God is the most expensive destination on earth because Jesus paid our way with his own precious body and his own precious blood. And we're going to celebrate that together now in com with communion. As you can see, we have communion stations set up in the front, and there's one in the back. In a moment, Brian's going to lead us in a song. And just where you're sitting, just have a quiet time of prayer. Prepare your heart for communion. And when you're ready, just come up by yourselves and take the elements and take them back to your seat and take communion right where you're sitting. We're not going to do it as a group. We're going to just take communion individually this morning. And when you're finished, just stay in a time of prayer and then Brian will dismiss us. Prayer. Let, let me close this, though, this portion in prayer. Father, we, we come before you so grateful that you opened your kingdom to all of us. Father, I pray that there wouldn't be one person here that leaves today without knowing that their home is with you. You are our personal Savior, Lord. Don't let us leave here just accepting you as a some kind of religious thing, some sort of... God that we can't really know. Lord, let us be men and women of great faith, men and women with a personal relationship with you so we can't hide you wherever we go. You just spill out of us with everyone we meet. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.